Hey, welcome to the Meta Church Podcast. We're thankful that you're taking part of your day to spend it with us, and we pray this message encourages you, inspires you, and leads you to experience the transformative power of Jesus in your life. Well, hey, what's up, church? Welcome uh, to week four of our Devoted series, our fourth and final installment of what's really been an impactful series, a, a significant series. We've heard testimonies and stories of people uh, sharing about the impact that it's having on their lives and, and helping them find and unlock intimacy with God. Just kind of like the, the simplicity of, of breaking it down and helping people take steps, which has been really encouraging. And we're excited to, to wrap this up and, and kind of um, share the fourth and final piece. But before we do, just thought maybe it'd be good to do like a little re fresher in case you missed the week, in case you've forgotten. Um, you know, four weeks ago, we started this series and Krista opened us up uh, with kind of the foundation for intimacy, uh, which is communication. And, and she said, you know, and she shared with us how communication, we, we communicate with God through prayer. And she gave us some specific, um, like an, an outline to follow about praying honestly, praying specifically, uh, waiting expectantly, and how that communication forms the foundation or the basis for any sort of intimacy. And so she laid that out. And then we followed that up in week two, uh, talking about time. And, and, I, and I shared with you specifically like quality time, like having quality time, that if intimacy starts with communication, then it's cultivated through quality time. And, and, I, and I, again, I laid out what is quality time? What does it look like? And we said the quality time is um, dedicated, undistracted, and consistent. That if you can apply those three things, in your relationship with God, then you can actually experience or begin working toward experiencing intimacy with God. Then last week, week three, maybe the hardest pill to swallow so far in this series, um, and, and kind of the third piece or the third big idea was about surrender, that we said that intimacy starts with communication, it's cultivated through quality time, but then it's protected by surrender. And I shared some ideas, some things that maybe um, get in the way, how these things can easily cloud and, and crowd out intimacy with God if we're unaware of them or if we don't surrender them. And I shared with you just four things to surrender, four ideas to surrender. Um, I, the idea of always being happy, needing to surrender things being easy, needing to surrender needing someone else, surrendering your preferred outcomes. And so these steps or these areas, if you could yield these things, if you could surrender these things, then you can protect the intimacy with God because it's easy to make it about those things rather than the person or the one you're seeking to experience intimacy with. And throughout this series, Chris and I have, have really, honestly, we've just traced the steps that we've followed, that we have walked, the path that we've walked to experience, to find and unlock intimacy in our own relationship with God. And, and, and in hopes, we've shared these things in hopes that you would do the same, in hopes that you would pursue it, in hopes that you would experience it as well. And this whole series has really been building week by week mounting, kind of like leading to this moment, one week after the other, one step after another, on top of another, all with the intention of trying to help each of you, whether you're listening on the podcast, whether you're watching online, whether you're attending in person, with the intention of trying to help each of you find and unlock intimacy with God. And today it all kind of comes to this crescendo moment. It all kind of comes to this kind of pinnacle or peak moment of this series where you will need to answer this question, will I devote myself to God? Will I devote myself to God? Now, this is not a question that should be taken lightly, nor is it a question that should be answered flippantly. So before you jump one way or the other, before you're, yes, I'm in, no, I'm out, before you decide, before you make a determination, let me share a couple of things with you. I'm going to share a little bit about how intimacy has transformed 
and changed my life, intimacy with God, how it's impacted me. And then let me share with you the fourth and final piece, the fourth and final idea needed to finding and unlocking intimacy with God. Now in my life, I shared a little bit last week about some of the journey that God took me on over the course of 2020 and how I had this prayer heading into 2020 to experience intimacy with God to encounter intimacy with God. Now, prior to 2020, I had a great relationship with God. Prior to 2020, I had my, my relationship with God was solid. In fact, I would say, you know, for many people, my relationship with God was what they wanted or what they aspired towards. So there wasn't like we had no intimacy. It wasn't like we had no connection. It wasn't like I was far from God and then all of a sudden started. I just felt like, you know what? There's more to be had. There's more to be experienced. And I shared some of the journey that God took me on toward experiencing that. And what I can tell you now, some three years after the fact, is that the level of intimacy, the level of connection and closeness that I have with God far exceeds and far um, um, surpasses anything that I had or anything that I'd experienced prior to that journey or prior to those prayers and and this path that God kind of set me on. In fact, today, what I would tell you is that God is absolutely my confidant, that God is the place I go to. God is the one I go to. Just like David writes about in the Psalms, one of the things that's always fascinating to me is how David always writes about God being his hiding place, that God is his strong tower, that God is his place of refuge. And I can tell you today that some three years later, that's exactly what this journey has produced in me, where God is my confidant. He's the one I go to. And anything and everything, he's the one I run to. He's the one I seek. He's the one I hide in. He's the one I, I shelter myself in. And I'm like, God, this is, this is different than what I had before. Certainly on occasion, maybe even frequently, I would run to God. Certainly on occasion and frequently, I would hide in God. But this is now like my confidence. He's my default. Like I know there's, there's no point in even looking anywhere else. That I'm just going to run and hide in him. I remember after my dad passed away, one of the thoughts that really kind of um, grieved me and, and that I felt the burden of its loss was that my dad was like this champion. He was like this cheerleader in my life of celebrating and, 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 and speaking life and speaking positive things and, and just kind of, you know, hey, I'm proud of you or hey, I love you. And I remember just kind of having this quiet moment thinking like, who, who's going to replace my dad's voice? Who's going to be the one that says those things? And I remember this whisper from the Holy Spirit saying, Ricky, that's what I want to do. That's who I'm going to be for you. And God, as my father, has become my champion. God, as my father, has become my cheerleader. God, as my father, has been the one speaking. I'm proud of you. I love you, son. You're on the right path. You're doing incredible. Here's what's happening, and here's what I'm celebrating in your life. And I'm just so proud of who you're becoming and what's taking place. I mean, God just reminds me, constantly reminds me of his presence. There are things that God does in the moment that it's like so clear, so divinely appointed, so, so like it's so specialized and specific to me that I know, no, 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 this isn't for anyone else. This wasn't about anyone else. This is God's way of saying, Ricky, I'm showing you I'm here. I'm showing you I'm present. I'm showing you I care. I'm showing you I love you. And he just kind of interjects himself into these spaces, evidences of his grace, displays of his mercy. And, and I don't say this, this piece to kind of, you know, like boast on myself or to brag about myself or to make myself appear holier or more righteous than I am. But, I, but I'll say this with, with full honesty and transparency. On most days, God is the first person I speak to and the last person I speak to before I go to bed. 
He's the first one I talk to when I wake up. I open my day, most days I open my day with prayer. God, thank you for waking me. God, thank you for this life. God, I pray here's what I need for the day. Here's what I'm coming through. And he's the first person I speak to. And it's not like I just have this like intentional reminder. In fact, I often wake up before I have my daily reminders for specific prayers. And so I'm praying before I even get like an actual reminder. I'm just talking with God. And then as I go to bed at night, I thank God for my day. I thank God for my family. I thank God for the things that I got to experience. Uh, I, I thank God for the way he's answered or the way I'm seeing him move or the concerns I have or the burdens I'm carrying as I go to bed. I just talk with him. And I just have communication with God. And it's sincere and it's authentic and it's, and it's, and it's on a near daily basis. Like he's the first one I speak to. He's the last one I speak to. And then, so this intimacy in my life has just, like, it just becomes so normal now. This, this way that I experience and encounter God and connect with God, so different and so far beyond whatever I had encountered or whatever I was experiencing prior to this journey that God has taken me on of experiencing and unlocking intimacy and closeness with Him. And the same could be true for you and the same could be experienced in your life. You could have this same level of devotion or maybe even greater. I don't need you to have my level of devotion. I want you to have the greatest level of devotion that you could experience, the greatest level of intimacy that you could find with God for your life. And if any of that, is something that you're interested in. And if any of that is something that appeals to you or, or kind of sparks your curiosity as to what would it take, then let me go ahead and share with you the fourth and kind of final key or the fourth and final like big idea to finding and unlocking intimacy with God. We've talked about communication. We've talked about quality time. We've talked about surrender. And now that leads us to this point. The fourth and final piece is commitment. Commitment. Now, it's interesting how certain words in the English language will incite fear and instill panic. There are certain words that we speak, that are speak and the moment you hear them, they, again, provoke or prompt fear or panic to happen. Now, for instance, if you're at the beach and someone yells, shark, shark, all of a sudden, people are going to scatter, people are going to run, people are going to hurry out of the water, swim back to shore. And, and listen, before they even make a decision, it could have just been two kids playing and one pretends to be a shark and the other one says, shark. And everyone immediately is overcome with fear and with panic, right? So, so that happens. There's another silly example, but like late, being late. Some people like quickly like shudder, like, ooh, I don't want to ever be late. I hate being late. I get stressed when I'm late. I don't, oh, that's so much pressure. I don't, I don't like the idea or the notion or the thought of being late. Now for other people, you don't care. <laughs> I've observed this first day and it late. What is late? Late is never. Late is non-existent. I show up when I want to show up. So, so late doesn't, clearly does not bother you. But for some people, there is a segment of the population where the word late actually does incite fear or instill a level of panic. And now those are just silly examples, right? Shark, late. But then there's more like kind of weighty words, right? Like layoffs. You show up to your office, you show up to your place of work, you show up to your company, and you hear that there are going to be layoffs. Immediately you start to think, well, will I get laid off? Like, do I have enough money in my account? Could I, I haven't done my resume. Could I quickly find another job? And so layoffs carries that, right? Here, here's another one. Cancer. Wait, what? Cancer. It's like one's life flashes before their eyes where, what do you mean I have cancer? What do you mean my mom has cancer? What do you mean my family member has cancer? Or that friend has cancer? Like, those words 
whether they're silly or serious, incite a level of fear and, and, and instill in us a, a sense of panic. And it seems to me that the word commitment is also starting to kind of move in that trend or move in that direction across our culture, across our society. It seems like commitment is becoming one of those words that also instills fear or panic and it's kind of becoming like a taboo word where people, the moment you say it, are like, no, no, wait, what? Commitment? Uh, I, I can't do that. They're apprehensive. They're resistant. They're skeptical. They're worried. They push away from it. And commitment is becoming one of those things you say, well, no, I don't know. I don't know that I can commit to that. I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I'm willing to do that. And so I kind of resist the idea or the notion of commitment. You say, you speak it, and people scatter like cockroaches when you flip the lights on. It's like commitment is something that just kind of overwhelms them or overcomes them and says, no, 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 I, can't, I, I just can't do that. And this isn't just like anecdotal. I'm not speaking anecdotally here. I'm not talking about something that's like it's just a sense or a feeling. I'm talking about there's actual science and actual data and actual evidence that suggests this to be true, that suggests this is actually happening. For instance, less and less people are getting married, right? So that's a commitment thing. Less and less people want to be committed to someone else. Not only that, but less and less people, once they do get married, are actually staying married. So that's like a commitment thing. Not only am I unwilling to engage in the commitment, but once I make the commitment, I'm unwilling to remain faithful to that commitment. Not only that, you know, fewer and fewer people are staying at the same jobs, right? People quickly, it's not uncommon nowadays to see someone with, you know, three, four, five, six places of employment over the last three, four, five, or six years. People are changing jobs, you know, quickly and abruptly and switching into different companies or switching into different positions or roles or industries even. And they're less and less likely to stay put or to remain pat in their existing place of employment. But it's not just that, right? Fewer people are actually volunteering with or alongside of charitable organizations. In fact, I came across this study as I was preparing for this message um, done by AmeriCorps and the U.S. Census Bureau. And this study took place from September 2020 through September 2021. And what they were interested in is trying to identify the number of Americans ages 16 or over who had volunteered in a formal capacity with some sort of organization. It could be a charitable organization, it could be a church or a nonprofit, uh, it could be an institution like a school or an arts program. Um, but in some formal capacity, how many people in the US population ages 16 or older have volunteered in a formal way at least once over the course of three months? And what they found in this survey and in this research is that 23%, nearly one out of four people, volunteer with some organization in a formal capacity, okay? Over the course of a year. So once every three months for the course of a year, so just four times a year, how many, what percentage of the population does that? And what they found is 23%. You say, well, that doesn't seem bad to me. One out of every four, that's pretty good. But it's only pretty good if you remove it from any context because just 20 years ago in 2002 when they did this exact same study, what they found in 20, or 2002 was that 52% of the same demographic, 52% of the population was actually volunteering at least once every three months in a formal capacity. So get that. That number has been reduced by over half in a span of 20 years. We are less and less committed. Not only do we see this lack of commitment playing out in marriages and jobs and volunteering, but I see this trend happening upward moving upward and, and, and consistently increasing when it comes to faith and following Jesus. When it comes to the Christian faith, 
more and more it seems like people are less committed to God. People who in word and in speech say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I've placed my faith in Jesus. Yet somehow they're becoming less and less committed to him. People who would identify, and if you were to ask, and if you were to press, they would say, of course I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a follower of Jesus. Of course I believe in God. And yet their commitment to him has deteriorated or lessened over the years or lessened over their journey with him. In fact, we all know these people. We all have connection. We all care about some of these people. We know people who have completely lessened their commitment to the point where they've walked away entirely from God. And in many cases... If you were to ask them why, if you were to ask them why their their commitment has waned, why their commitment has lessened, many of them would cite or many of them would say, well, you know, I just never really felt close to God. I was never really close to God. I grew up in church or whatever, and it was my parents, but but I never really felt close to God. Or God was never really close to me. So my commitment isn't there. And and, and interestingly enough, the reason they use or the, the reason they cite is the very thing that prevents them. You you couldn't feel close to God if you weren't ever really committed to God, if you didn't stay faithful to the commitments, if you didn't walk forward in commitment. You see, commitment is what's needed to experience intimacy with God. And I don't know if your world or in your world if commitment is a dirty word, but I'm here to tell you today that you will not experience intimacy, that you will not have devotion to God apart from commitment. It's impossible. You are either fully committed to God or you're not. You're either fully devoted to him or you're not. You have commitment or you don't. In fact, it was Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, in the context of devotion to God, said when he said the words, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, in Jesus' world, there was no halfway in, halfway out. Through Jesus' paradigm, through the lens that Jesus saw faith and, and spirituality and devotion, there was no, okay, maybe. It was, you are committed or you are not. You are devoted or you're not. You experience intimacy or you don't. And now imagine for a moment, we know this to be true because, again, imagine that we, I've used you know, this metaphor of marriage, my, my marriage to my wife, um, to illustrate Devotion. And so imagine if I said to Krista and just said, you know, listen, hey, babe, look, I know I'm married to you. I said I do, but, but I, like, you know, I don't want to be fully committed. I, I don't, I mean, that's kind of a bit much, right? So some days I might show up, you know, some nights I might come home. I might be there for dinner. I might not. I'm, uh, I might be with you. I might be with someone else. I might be at home. I might be in another part of the world. Um, but, but it's okay. I just want you to know it's okay. Because remember on August 5th, 2007, I said, I do. And, and you're my wife. No one else is my wife. You're my wife. And, 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 you know, this is my home. I'm just staying at hotels. That's not my home. It's just a hotel. That's, that's not my city. It's just a place I'm visiting. It's not a home cooked meal. It's just a restaurant that I'm going out to, but, but don't worry. I'm, I'm, if someone asks, I'm still married. I'll tell you exactly how that would go. It wouldn't go at all. We wouldn't have anything. That would be the end of the story, the end of the relationship, the end of the conversation. It is not going anywhere because there is no halfway in, halfway out in marriage, nor is there halfway in, halfway out in devotion to God. You're either fully committed or not. And just as we've done in other weeks, what I want to do today is I want to share with you, I want to highlight someone who's kind of represented this or someone who's lived this out throughout the course of scriptures. 
I want to look at the life of someone who maybe better than anyone else in the whole of scriptures has displayed this, has, has reflected this. And I want to talk about specifically the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul is someone that we're familiar with. The Apostle Paul is someone that many of us know or are aware of. But in case you don't, let me just kind of give you a quick rundown. Paul used to go by the name of Saul. And Saul actually was someone who came onto the scene shortly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Saul was a Jew. And the Jews believed in the kind of old traditional way of connecting with God, the sacrificial system, making sacrifices, going to the temple, going before a priest, offering these, you know, um, these animals and these different sacrifices to justify or to take account for their sins. And then Jesus stepped onto the scene and Jesus changed the whole thing. And he said, no longer do you need to go through a synagogue. No longer do you need to go through a temple. No longer do you need to go through a priest. You come to me. If you want access to God, you come through me. You come through Jesus. And he died on the cross. He was crucified and died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. And then he was resurrected from the grave so that you and I and millions and billions of other people could have eternal life found in him and in him alone. And so when Jesus came, needless to say, this revolutionized what was happening in ancient Israel. The people were, you know, just catching wind of this and, 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 and awaking to this new reality and Saul was a devout Jew, frustrated and angered by this, to the point in which he decided, you know, what he wanted to do, his life mission was going to go and travel to other cities, to other regions, to arrest Christians and ultimately to have them tried. And in some cases, even to have them killed. And Saul had devoted his life to the old way of religion. And that meant to him that he would be an extremist and a zealot at the expense of the lives of others. And one day Saul has this encounter. He's walking on his way to persecute Christians and he has this encounter with Jesus. And what's interesting about Saul is that we as outsiders get to kind of look into this and see his faith journey take place from beginning to end. We're given a glimpse into his life. And, and, and what makes Saul, who becomes Paul, so significant is that God changes his name and sets him on this course where now half of the New Testament books, half of the New Testament letters that you and I read or that we study from or that we preach from and share at our church were written by this guy who once hated Christians, who once sought to kill Christians and has now become one. And so we have like kind of like this window into his life to see his journey and to see how this commitment played out over the totality or over the course of his entire life. And so what I want to do is I want to just share kind of a, a few passages, a few excerpts from Paul's story to show you what it looked like in the beginning, what it looked like in the middle, and what it looked like in the end to see how commitment played a part or was fleshed out and helping him experience intimacy with God. So Acts chapter 9, I'll read a few verses out of Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 20. Here's what it says. So Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And then immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the son of God. So here in the beginning of Paul's faith journey, you see the difference. You see the commitment already fleshed out. He believes, he recognizes he has an encounter with Jesus. 
places his faith in him and says, you know, I'm committed to this man. I'm committed to this savior. And so I'm going to go get baptized. Just like we celebrated this past week at Meta Church where Rudy and Sonia took the step of going public with their faith and declaring it out and saying, listen, I am a follower of Jesus. That's what Saul did immediately as soon as he said, look, I am committed to this. And then just a few days after that, he's going into those same synagogues where he was either going to try to persecute Christians or celebrate with the Jews for their old traditional ways. And he said, listen, Jesus is indeed the son of God. So clearly his commitment was on display at the beginning of his faith journey. But then check this out in the middle, right? Philippians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he says, not that I was ever in need for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You see, in the middle stages of his faith journey, in the middle stages or throughout his faith journey, rather said, Paul recognized, listen, it doesn't matter if I have a lot or a little. It doesn't matter if I have hungry or I'm satisfied. It doesn't matter if I'm, uh, have, I have tons of stuff or if I have nothing. The secret of living in every situation I've learned is my commitment, is my devotion to God. It's through Christ who strengthens me. In Jesus, in my commitment to him is where I'll find wholeness. In Jesus, in my commitment to him is where I'll find satisfaction. In Jesus, in my commitment to him is where I'm going to experience wholeness and satisfaction and, and, and completion. Not in these other things, not in my wealth, not in my poverty. It's just in Jesus. This is where I'm going to experience this. This is where I'm going to find and I'm going to remain committed to him in this space. And then we move to the end of Paul's journey. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, he's writing to his protege, Timothy, and it's his final letter nearing the end of his final letter. And he, and he, and he shares these words of wisdom with young Timothy. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And this prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You see the apostle Paul arrived to the end of his life and he recognized, listen, I have run my race. I have pursued the prize. I have remained committed to God throughout the entirety of my life. From the moment I met him to the time now, I'm my death is near, Timothy. And what I want you to know is this. I have remained committed and I'm going to be rewarded for my commitment. I'm going to receive that crown. I'm going to receive that prize that God has promised to me. And listen, I want you to know, young Timothy, I want you to know, Meta Church, that this crown, that this prize is available to each and every one of you. All of you who would so pursue, all of you who would so eagerly chase after it, all of you who would so steadfastly remain committed to Jesus, you too could experience this crown. You too could encounter this reward. And listen, this is what I have done. This is how I have remained. And Paul demonstrated what commitment looks like. I mean, clearly what becomes obvious out of the apostles, Paul, is that at every stage and in every season of his life, he was committed to experiencing intimacy with God. At every stage and in every season, Paul was committed to experiencing intimacy with God. Throughout his life, he maintained his commitment and he maintained his desire to experience intimacy with God. No matter where he was in the world, no matter what he had, no matter who he was with, the Apostle Paul recognized, listen, I'm going to remain steadfast and I'm going to be devoted to you, God. I'm going to be committed to you, God. 
And the same could be true for you. The same could be had in your life. The same could be had or experienced in your faith. And listen, I don't know about everyone. I can't speak for everyone listening. I can't speak for everyone watching. I can only speak for myself when I tell you, this is what I want. This is what I want for my life. I want it to be said of me that at the end of my life, I remain committed. At the end of my life, I walked in devotion with God that for, you know, however much longer I've got, I'm 36 now. If God gives me 40 years, if God gives me 30 years, God gives me 10 years. I don't know what... I don't know what time has been allotted for me, but I do know that for as long as I live, I want it to be said of me, he remained committed and devoted to God. And what I recognize in my own life and what I recognize out of Paul's life is that really there are kind of two aspects to this, maybe two dimensions in which this must be true, two areas in which I must be committed. And it's needing to be committed at every stage of life as well as needing to be committed in every season of life. You see, we all recognize these things, right? We recognize there are different stages of life, and we also recognize there are different seasons of life. Of course, stages are kind of like the macro. They're like these bigger stretches or periods of time, while seasons are are kind of like a smaller, zoomed-in, cropped-in view of life or what we're experiencing. And what I realize is that commitment is required in both of those. It's required in the macro and it's required in the micro. And that in that every stage, at every stage, and in every season. And we think about like stages, right? So we just kind of let's just kind of talk through this. We think about stages, right? There's different stages of life, right? There's childhood and adulthood, two different stages. As a kid, right, we we we're different than we are as an adult. And what I want to do is I want to kind of like just outline like maybe some different examples of stages and some different examples of seasons. And what maybe stands in the way or what kind of distracts you or keeps you or prevents you from remaining committed to God, right? So like as a child, you might say, okay, well, yeah, as a child, what does it matter? Well, like as a child, you can start young. A lot of people, they start their faith young, which is an incredible thing. It's why we do Kids. It's why we're passionate about helping people learn about Jesus on their level. Um, and, and, And so, yes, there's a level where like initial commitment matters and makes a difference. But then it's easy as a kid to think, well, what? If I'm 12, 17, what difference does it really make? What impact could I really have? Does it even matter? Does anyone actually care? Right? As an adult, it's flipped. It's different than that. As an adult, you realize, listen, you you can't borrow from your parents' faith. Some of us grew up in the church and some of us, our parents were actively involved and we're like, oh, my mom or my dad. But listen, mom's faith isn't going to carry you through. Dad's commitment isn't going to be there to help you. As an adult, it needs to be your own. Commitment needs to be something you decide. The steps of faith to take, the obedience you, re- you act on, the um, decisions you make, those things need to be your own, not because someone told you, not because it's part of your tradition, not because it's part of your upbringing, not because it's even part of your culture, but because you made this decision. There's stages of young and old, right? Whether you're a childhood or adult, you can be a young adult, you can be an older adult. And as, as a young person, I think one of the things that, that stands in the way for commitment is like this um, kind of distractedness that experiences or that is experienced uh, and this lack of priority where it's like I'm young I'm trying to get into this school I'm trying to apply to get into this grad program I'm trying to get this job or I'm trying to move to this city I'm trying to get into that relationship I'm trying to get into this network and 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 so those things distract us and we lose our priority of being committed to God but then when you're older it's easy to kind of check out a little bit for that commitment to wane some because you're like well I've done my part 
I'm older now, my kids are adults, my kids are grown, they're good, they got their families, you know, I, I'm, I'm retiring and so I can just kind of take it easy, I can kind of chill out a little bit. Uh, and so, you know what, that's, that's okay, like I don't, you know, I, I, it's, let's, let's let some of the young bucks take it on. Let's let some of the younger people do this. And so your commitment wanes as you get older. Right, those aren't the only stages. There's the single dating married stage, right? So we have that whole thing. And then and, and singles, it's like, man, we're worried about all sorts of other stuff. We're, you know, like I'm 33 and I got no prospects on the horizon. Jesus died at 33. I guess I should die too because I don't know where, you know, I don't see any hope in the end. And like, and that's really dramatic and, and, and sarcastic, obviously. But like, you know, there's this sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm just, you know, wrapped up in this and I, and, and, and I don't know what to do. And I'm worried about those kind of things the dating stage, right? You become so enamored with someone else and you're like, every single moment, you wanna like text with them, you wanna call them, you wanna talk with them, you wanna go see them, you wanna spend time with them on the weekends, the weeknights, whenever you can, after work, whatever it is, you wanna meet up and do this. And you become so enamored with that person. Isn't it interesting how we can become so enamored with another person and do everything and anything it takes to show them our commitment and yet instantly neglect any form of commitment to God? Instantly, psh, get out of here, I'm busy. I got a boyfriend now, got a girlfriend now, got a fiance. And marriage can be the same thing. You know, I shared that scripture last week that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth about how a married man has to care for his wife, how a married woman has to care for her husband. And so they, they have these concerns. And as myself, a married man, I recognize that, that I have to be committed to my wife. I've got to provide, I've got to support, I've got to encourage, I've got to be there. I need to be consistent, I need to be reliable. That I need to like make sure that she's doing well. Those are commitments I made to her. And so it's easy to get kind of wrapped up or consumed in that, in those commitments and lose sight of my commitment to God. And now those stages of life are, are relatively obvious, right? Childhood, adulthood, young, old, you know, single, dating, married. But, but there's also another kind of like maybe less considered stage. And it's like the start, middle, finish, right? That we just saw in the life of Paul, where people will start off in a certain way. And at the starting point, it's like, okay, well, I'm in, but I'm not really like fully committed. And I'm just kind of like getting my feet wet in my faith. I'm getting my, you know, just kind of a little sprinkling of this Jesus thing so that that way, you know, I can just kind of test it out. Or there's the middle, the mundane of the middle where it's like, well, well, you know, I've, I've been following Jesus for, you know, a few years or, or, you know, a few decades. And so like, it's, you know, I'm a Christian, but it's more like behavior modification. It's more like, just cultural acceptance than it is actual spiritual transformation. And then the finish, you get to the end and you're like, oh, I was supposed to finish something? I mean, I just did what I, I just did my part. I just did this normal thing. I've just kind of followed God in the way that, you know, I thought I was supposed to. And so we, we lose sight of that and we, we lack the commitment at the end because our lives have been cluttered with a million other things. But it's not just every stage, right? We talked about every season. And I love what Paul wrote in Philippians. He kind of highlighted all those different seasons, right? Because we know that life is seasonal. There are things that we go through for a period of weeks or months or maybe even a few short years. And it's a season of something where we're navigating, right? There's some highs and some lows. Life ebbs and flows, right? So there's highs and lows. And like in the high seasons, you know, it's easy to just kind of like, man, rejoicing and you're up on the mountaintop and there's clear views, great weather, nothing's obstructing you. And you're like, Man, I'm here. I made it. I did it. Things are going great. And it's easy to lose sight of the one who actually got you there. It's easy to forget about the fact that God was the one that took you there. And yet in the lows, it's like, man, I'm in the canyon. 
I'm in the cavern. I'm in the valley. God, you're nowhere to be found. And so, God, if you're not going to be committed to me down here, then why would I be committed to you? And we think, well, God neglected us or God rejected us. And then similarly, like in, in success and failure, right? And the success is right where we're championing, we're doing the things, you know, wow, look at this. I got that promotion. I got that offer. I got that opportunity. I got that recognition. I got that platform. I got that following. And look at what I did. And it's easy to take credit for your successes. But isn't it interesting how the moment we feel failures, we're so quick to take credit for our successes and so quick to cast blame on God for our failures. Oh God, where were you? God, you set me up. God, you failed me. God, you didn't show up. God, you didn't protect me. God, you didn't walk through this with me. And in these various seasons, we flip switches, highs. Wow, look at what I did. Lows, God, where are you? Successes, man, look at me. Let me pat myself on the back. Failures, God, you set me up. And yet our commitment to God wanes in all of these things. Or think of times of wealth and poverty, financial wealth, financial poverty, relational wealth, relational poverty, spiritual wealth, spiritual poverty. We all navigate those seasons. And it's interesting that when times of wealth are present, when we have money in the account, when we have the relational network that we care about, when we feel spiritually supported, that, that we start to place our trust in those things, our spiritual community or our friendships or our relationships or the money in my bank account. And we start to trust in those things more than we trust in God. And then in times of poverty where we feel bankrupt or broke or poor, it's like we feel all this despair, like financially there's desperation or relationally I'm, I'm empty and hollowed out or spiritually I, I'm, I'm, I'm broken and we think to ourselves, man, like, I need relief. I need this to let up. And so we go and we seek relief from any and every other source other than God. Our commitment wanes. We say, well, I'm not going to be committed there because I need to find just a way out of this. And what I've learned and what I've experienced as a pastor is that at every stage and in every season, usually there's the opportunity. There's two things that really kind of stand in the way from keeping or from allowing you to be or to remain committed to God. And then, and, and similarly, they prevent or, or work against me being committed to God. And those two things are actually more like two attitudes, two attitudes that are either present simultaneously or one or the other seems to kind of take hold. And those two attitudes are simply this. I don't want to, or I don't need to. I don't want to, or I don't need to. Now, to be fair, people aren't always as forward as this. People don't always tell the truth. People don't always say these things out loud. They don't speak it outright. But the way they live and the things they do demonstrate that they don't want to or that they believe they don't need to. In fact, if you were to look back over the last six to 12 months of your own life, to turn the mirror onto yourself, and look back at the steps, look back at the invitations that God has called you to, the opportunities where you had the ability to commit to Him at a greater level, in intimacy, whether it's through maybe volunteering or serving somewhere, maybe it's through financial generosity to the church or to another, maybe through a step of faith to go someplace or to stay put. Look back over the last six to 12 months of your life and, and just kind of on a whole, just evaluate the areas or the opportunities you had to increase your commitment to God. And let me know, what did you decide? 
And if you didn't say yes to God in those moments, then more than likely what you said was, I don't want to, or I don't need to. Now here's what I want to believe. My sense is that you're here today, and if you're watching online or listening to the podcast, you've made it this far because there's at least a part of you that does want to, or at least a part of you that feels like you need to. I don't know if it's the majority. I don't know if it's like 90% of you or if it's just a small part of you, like 10% of you. But there is at least a part of you that's made it this far because you either want to or you need to. So as I close this message and as we close out this series, as I said at the top, we've been building toward this moment, crescendoing to this place, to this opportunity, where I leave you with this question. You don't have to. You don't have to be committed to God. But will you? Will you? Will you erase the belief that commitment is a dirty word? Will you shift your perspective and recognize that if you want intimacy with God, you need to be committed to Him? Will you be devoted? Will you find and unlock intimacy with God? We've given you the steps. Communication, quality time, surrender, and now commitment. We've outlined the path for you to walk so that you could have intimacy and closeness with God. The question now that you have to decide is, do you want it? Do you want it? I want to take a moment to pray for you. I want to take a moment to pray for you as you contemplate this decision, as you contemplate what it's going to take, as you contemplate whether or not you will experience intimacy with God. My hope and my prayer is that you do. My hope and my prayer is that you say yes. My hope and my prayer is that you walk forward and that you experience an unleashing of the intimacy of God in your life unlike anything you've ever encountered before. But it's up to you. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes as I lead us in this prayer. My Lord and my God, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your persistence. I thank you for your determination to seek us, to run after us, to chase us, even when we are resistant, even when we push back, even when we're distracted or when we seek something else. I pray for our church, Lord, in New York City, um, across the United States, literally people listening to the podcast all over the world. I pray, God, that they would say yes, that they would Shoo away this notion that commitment is a dirty word and recognize that I will not have intimacy with you, God, unless I am committed to you. There is no halfway in, no halfway out. So today, God, the best I know how, to the best of my ability, I am choosing to be fully committed to you, to communicate with you, to spend quality time with you, to be surrendered and to be committed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today on the MetaChurch podcast. To connect further with us, find us on Instagram or visit us online.